Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand via Zoom. Hi, guys. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Andrew. Yes. All the mocks, all the pro days, all the games, some of the games, none of the games this college football season. It's finally here. The Vikings are going to be on the clock at 14 overall with a lot of needs to fill on this roster. We'll discuss the many directions they can go. A heralded quarterback class in this year's NFL draft, how that could impact the Vikings, whether directly or indirectly. Uh, will they trade up? Will they trade down? They're definitely maybe not going to stay where they're at. We'll end up seeing and uh, obviously we'll get to their other needs as well beyond the offensive line. Um, but guys, we need to start off with this quarterback class, I think is the top storyline of the draft, not just looking through the Vikings lens, but just in terms of league wide, um, there could be three quarterbacks going one, two, three right away. I don't think that's happened in, in quite some time. Um, there could be five or six quarterbacks taken in the first round, including Trey Lance right here out of NDSU. Um, I know a lot of, mocks like to say hey the Vikings could be a sleeper what if they're in on that quarterback pool but I don't know about you guys I think that's this this quarterback class of Trevor Lawrence Zach Wilson Justin Fields Trey Lance I think that could help the Vikings not by them getting a quarterback Ben but so much as them getting one of these top talents pushed down to them yeah it could and I think you could throw Mac Jones in there probably not as high as those other guys but if somebody is enamored of him then that could help as well in the sense that you could have four or five of these guys go in the first 14 picks and if that's the case that probably pushes a player down who was not otherwise going to be available to the Vikings maybe it's one of those offensive linemen like Rashawn Slater that they could have an immediate need for or maybe if there's a quarterback left you can exploit that knowing that the Patriots are right behind them I think it's also worth pointing out because the Patriots certainly could be in line to take a quarterback. So if you can say to somebody, if you want a quarterback, you got to get in front of New England, that could help create a market for that pick as well. So I don't necessarily think they're in the quarterback market. I, I know that I've seen a few mocks that say, hey, Trey Lance, if he slides, you know, maybe he comes to the Vikings. But I think overall their their track record has been they don't take a quarterback early unless they are planning for that quarterback to be the immediate starter. They have not been the team that sort of plans ahead and grooms a guy for a couple of years. And I just don't think they're at the point where they're ready to start doing that. So I think the quarterback market in a lot of ways benefits them by what it could mean for other teams that have interest in getting one. And they might be able to create some leverage off of that. Yeah. And Mike, they don't also, they probably don't have the job security. If you're Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer coming off a year when you didn't make the postseason, coming off a year in which, yes, you got contract extensions, but we know how short lived those can be. And then also, it's not like it was a situation like with Green Bay last year where they felt their roster was so solid that, hey, we can just go ahead and take this guy. They've got other holes they've got to fill. Yeah, that's why, you know, I, I think your original premise was the right one, that, that the way this could help them is if, you know, say there's five quarterbacks that go in the top 12 or top 13 before it comes their pick, you know, that takes a whole bunch of, you know, things they don't necessarily need out of the equation, then you're probably going to see a couple wide receivers in that mix too, which they don't, I don't think they would draft someone that high at wide receiver. Um, so then you're talking about, you know, having fewer teams to battle really for what, you know, what seems to be 
the logical pick, which would be offensive lineman, and does you know do they have a shot of it at least one of those guys? You know, Sewell probably goes a little higher than fourteen or you know, before they get to pick. But does Slater get there? Do you know some of these other guys? Do they get down to fourteen? and give them a chance to, to get what they really need. And yeah, I think the, the other point you made, which was a good one is, you know, the idea that they don't really have the, the, the luxury of, of patience or time necessarily. This hot, this roster does have a lot of, you know, maybe fewer holes than before they went into free agency, but certainly offensive line, unless they're able to, you know, swing a trade and we can get into that, you know, later on this podcast, but you know, unless that's the route they're thinking of going, they've, almost and i don't know if they've boxed themselves into a corner but they sure have set themselves set themselves up for you know they they need an offensive lineman they they really need a tackle or guard depending on what they want to do with you know Ezra Cleveland after cutting Riley Reef you know this is this is setting up to be you know they they're, they're going to really have to take a long look at a plug and play player at 14 that can be that starter on day 1 on the offensive line you know barring something different so as, as intriguing as it is to think about drafting the quarterback of the future i don't think that's where they are with their roster with their leadership and where they are in 2021 yeah ben independent of where they end up making that selection in the first round because we'll, we'll talk about how they can move around potentially um since they go from if you look at their top picks it's 14 overall then it's 78 overall and then it's 90 those are that's it in the top 100 um, but independent of where they end up making that first selection, does it have to be offensive line? I, I think the, the logical thing would be for it to be an offensive lineman. Expecting that the Vikings will automatically do that thing and take an offensive lineman has not always been a winning bet. We saw it in 2019 where they said, we're going to take care of Bradbury and probably in some ways, taking a center 18th overall is uh, higher than a lot of teams would have done it. You can also go back a year when they needed a guard and instead they took Mike Hughes. So it's, I think it's always that question of do they address the, the obvious need on the offensive line or is there still this move for defense, especially when by all accounts, this is not a good defensive tackle draft and, and you figure you're probably set for the most part with Dalvin Tomlinson and Michael Pierce, but they may want some more depth for that group and may want somebody that's a little bit more of a pass rusher. So if a guy like Christian Barmore is there, do you think about doing that at 14? Or do you look at one of these Miami pass rushers? So I, I, I think there are certainly scenarios where they don't take an offensive lineman, even if that would be the logical thing to do. And that sound you hear is Mike Rand uh, with the steam <laughs> coming out of his ears. Well, I was just, the point I was going to make is you could definitely see, you know, this off season has shown that they're really, you know, doubling down on defense. And if this, you know, proves to be the end of the road or however you want to describe it for this current leadership group, they're going to try to go out doing what they do best, which is playing defense. But the point I was going to make, and I'm sure we'll address this as we talk through the whole seven rounds is I feel like this decision is made more complicated by the fact that they don't have a second round pick that, that this first round pick is kind of the in barring a, you know, a trade down and accumulation or a trade up uh, where you use some of your third round capital to get into the second round, you know, late second round to get something you want, you know, barring that this is your one crack in the top 75 at a player you really like. And while you might get some depth beyond that, or you might, you know, do, you know, 
do something else to help your roster, you know, in the medium term, this is your, this is your one chance at a really good player. And if you don't get an offensive lineman there and you don't, aren't able to make the trade that, that might be out there, like, what are you going to do? Like, there's only so many players out there. Yeah, this is an incredibly deep offensive line class. And, and that's what you keep hearing from the analysts who study these things, who watch all the tape, who actually know, you know, number one to number 10, who the prospects are at these positions. Um, they can wait and still get a quality player if you do jump it back into the second round. They've done this with Brian O'Neill. They're trying to do that with Ezra Cleveland, hoping he's going to be that kind of guy. Um, at the same time, though, like you said, they don't have a second round pick. Um, maybe they can get one of those guys right in the now. third. Right, right now. Maybe they can get one of those guys in the third round. But when you look at this offensive line class and how deep it is, and they've got two holes to fill on the offensive line. I don't yeah, think so take it, two of them. Take two. That'd be great. I'm, yeah, that was my segue of saying, why not both take it with your first round pick and then take it again later on? Because they've got that many holes in the O-line to fill. I was talking to, and we'll hear later this week in our podcast, to Dan Hatman from the Scouting Academy. And he was saying, look, an offensive line can have three out of five pieces. That's what you need to aim for. Have three out of five. And I said, right now, the Vikings only have three out of five starters. They don't have two other bodies right now. And we don't know if Garrett Bradbury is going to be that good guy. We don't know if he's going to develop into that franchise centerpiece the way they thought when they took him at that spot. So with how weak the interior is, I guess, Ben, why not do both? Why not? Why not trust your defensive coaching staff and say, look, we've continually wanted you to develop these mid later round picks. Anyway, we're just going to throw as many pieces against the O line wall and see what sticks. You could. Um, I, I just, I have a feeling that there will still be a thought process of, look, our pass rush was not good last year. We think we're going to have Daniel Hunter back, but whether by dint of his contract or by dint of he's not ready to go or the neck becomes an issue, probably I think he'll be ready to go. But if the neck becomes an issue again, you may not have him. So I could see them saying, hey, the most important thing we do on the defensive side of the ball is pressure the quarterback. And when we don't have that, we can't do anything else. So they could, I think, make an argument that their group at defensive end is worse than their group on the offensive line, especially if you think the Neil Hunter is some type of a question mark. I, I think there would be, I'm not necessarily saying I agree with that, but I think there would be, the ability to take that stance and at least be able to defend it. That would be my question as to whether they would sit there and say, Hey, the, our only kind of obvious glaring need is the offensive line. So let's deal with that. In the first couple of picks. I, I really think that there's going to be an effort either by trading back in the first round or by moving up to get back into that second round. I, I just, I don't think that, they are going to look at it and say, we're okay without a second round pick. I, 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 I tend to think that by Friday, they will have a second rounder one way or the other and, and do something there. So um, what it is, we'll see. But yeah, I don't know that I would sit there and say, this is going to be our only chance at a good offensive lineman at 14. And, and that's what we have to do. Yeah. And considering the depth of the offensive line class, and the defensive end class. When you look at it, they do have these analysts project a lot of guys in the second, third rounds who could come in and be. We're even seeing the D Daniel Hunter comparisons. You see, like, oh, this guy runs an X and he weighs X and he has these long arms. He's just like Daniel Hunter, except 
Daniel Hunter's brain and drive and character. That's what made him Daniel Coach. Hunter. And coaching, yeah, in the spot. If Daniel Hunter were with the Las Vegas Raiders, I'm sorry. He's not going to be the same exact player. He might be very right. good, but he's not going to be the same exact player. And so all of these things play a factor in every position. But with that said, with all that couching done, um, there are supposed to be a lot of quality defensive ends available later. So like you said, Ben, that might lean toward trading back. The problem is, is that every other team seems to think that as well. You've got reports that the Panthers, the Giants, are willing to trade back from number eight, trade back from number 11. That's going to create competition for the Vikings, who are also potentially trying to move back and collect more draft capital. And it, another factor is it might not even just be for 2021. I think you see a lot of teams trading out of this draft altogether because there's something only like 700 players signed with agents this year, reportedly, mm -hmm. and that's down like a third or excuse me, that's down two thirds from previous years. It's usually up to 1800. So many kids decided to return to school. The depth of this draft in terms of the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds is not expected to be there. So if you're the Vikings and you're sitting on these seven picks in the last day of the draft, do you need to trade back from 14 overall to get into the second round? Or can you just dump half of your half of your day three, potentially to move up with a third round pick into the second round, potentially, or something like that. There are different kind of ways this can manifest itself if you're the Vikings of dealing picks to try to move around the board. Um, I think the most popular one, though, Mike, is that people think they're probably going to trade back from 14. It's just you're competing with all these other teams that want to do the same thing, it seems. Yeah, and then, you know, there's always a risk. You got to know. I, I feel like they I can't remember what year it was or – I feel like there was a draft where there was a clear offensive line needed. Maybe this was more of a second round thing, but that they, they went a certain direction or that maybe they traded back and then there was a run on the position they needed. I feel like it was 2018, 2018. Mike was, Hughes. Okay. So it was, they, they thought they could get their offensive lineman later in that round and it just, or in the early in the second round or what, I can't remember what the circumstances yeah. were. It was like, they, I think they moved back maybe a spot or two. And I, I, that wasn't the issue so much as there was a run at the beginning of the second round on all the guards, right? Like Will Hernandez being, I think the name that, that sticks out the most, but yeah, there was a run on a lot of those players and then they, they came back and got Brian O'Neill, which worked out. But I do remember Spielman kind of saying something to the effect of, yeah, that, that uh, went a little quicker than maybe we anticipated, which when he says that in the draft, it, it's noteworthy in and of itself because Rick, a lot of times would, as every GM does, uh, would have you believe this went exactly as we planned it. We are the puppet masters and we got these 31 other teams on strings. So for him to say that I, I thought was uh, it sticks in my mind because it doesn't happen very often, but yeah, that's the year that I, that comes to mind with the run on offensive linemen that they didn't get necessarily to be a part of. Right. So that's the risk, right? If you make a trade, you got to know that you're going to be able to get, still get what you want. Um, you know, and if you're only moving back two or three spots, you're probably pretty confident, especially if there's like two players, you know, you want, and then there's you know, you're only jumping back one or two spots. There's still going to be someone there, but don't get too cute when you got a real need. Like it's, there's nothing wrong with just staying at 14 and taking the best offensive lineman available. I always say, <laughs> um, could they trade up then Mike? What, what, what would you uh, say if they decided to jump up to eight or 11 or one of these spots with a team that is looking to move back to get, what if Rashawn Slater falls to eight and the Panthers are saying, Hey, come get him." I think Slater will be there at eight. Anyway, there, you know, he's, he, he could still be there at 11 or 12. So it kind of, it's the, the opportunity cost, right? It's the, 
you know, and again, that's where you run into the problem where you don't have that second round pick. Like, how do you, what's the, what's the cost? Are you trading like a 2022 second round pick? Because, Hey, you know, what's, what does the future matter? (laughs) Um, Things like that. Or what, you know, how do you approach what it takes to move up? Um, I wouldn't be opposed to it. It's, it's one of those things that's an opportunity cost. You you never really know until you get that close and you, you realize, okay, is the player you really want still going to be there? Or are you legitimate? Are you legitimately worried that you're not going to have a crack at the position or player you really want, or are you kind of panicking and, you know, making a move that, that costs you some draft capital you didn't need to give up. We know Rick Spielman was at Northwestern's pro day because it uh, almost turned into a meme of him staring over Rashawn Slater's shoulder, I think during some 40 yard dash or, or one of the workouts, I can't remember which, but um Anyway, let's let's discuss then what the Vikings can address after the trenches. We know the offensive line is going to be a big part. Defensive line is going to be a big part of their draft here coming up. What are the other needs? Where do you see them drafting from soonest? If it's not going to be either O-line or D-line, Ben, what are your thoughts? Just one more. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Patrick Peterson signed for a year. Cameron Dantzler, I think they still have high hopes for. I think Jeff Gladney, they feel like is going to be better than he was in year one. Jeff Gladney, of course, has off the field questions now, but Mike Hughes is not probably going to be part of their long-term plans. You don't know uh, quite what you have with that whole group. So if there was a guy that they liked, like Caleb Farley or, um, uh, Patrick Sertain, who played for Carl Scott, their new secondary coach at Alabama. Um, I could see that too. And that's, that's a first round need, but I mean, there could be a take Allen from, from central Florida as a guy that could maybe be on their radar a little bit later on. Um, I, you know, it, it's never a bad bet to assume that they're going to invest in the secondary early in a draft. They also need a safety. So Jamar Johnson from Indiana, I think is uh has been linked to them a little bit. So it's uh, with the, with the changes in the secondary with, with Anthony Harris gone and Harrison Smith being uh, 32 years old. And in the final year of his contract, I think a defensive back, if not a corner is, uh, is going to be another big need. Those were all one-year deals in free agency, right? For Xavier yeah. Ro- or Xavier Woods. Um, That's going to get really confusing. I'm going to oh. do that too. Between now and the end of the season, I'm going to end up calling him Xavier Rhodes at some point. It even like has the same like mouthflow, like Xavier Woods and Xavier Rhodes are like yeah. very similar sounding. Even <laughs> Woods Woods clothes doesn't have the same ring to it though. Eh, no, kinda, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully Woods. not Woods Woods burned. Hopefully not Woods burned. Oh, right? oh, oh no, Mike, you just doomed it. Now it's for sure going to be a thing. Uh, <laughs> so, the, but those to my point, those were all one year deals, right? The free agents yes. they brought in. Um, yes. So it's not just Patrick Peterson. It, they just brought in one-year stop gaps at safety um, and at slot corner. And presumably if Jeff Gladney's not on the field, either due to suspension or potentially uh, in jail, we could see maybe um, an addition coming there for long-term solutions because they don't have a lot of long-term solutions right now at those positions. I remember Mike Zimmer last year, toward the end of last year, he was very hopeful that maybe we have it figured out at corner with Dantzler and Gladney. Um, but when you go out and draft Pat, or excuse me, when you go out and sign Patrick Peterson right away, that is an indictment in and of itself that they needed immediate help. 
I don't know if we're going to see a first round corner there though, specifically because of the needs elsewhere, but also Ben, don't you, or Mike, don't you guys think they've had enough of the youth thing for a little bit? Like they need, they just needed some help from veterans to come in there. I don't think they're going to draft anybody at corner that, that has an immediate need to jump into playing time. What do you guys think? Unless they feel like Sertain is ready. I mean, it, sure. all the reports on him are that he's awfully polished and obviously played in a scheme that demands a lot of you at Alabama. So, I mean, they're going to have as much knowledge of him as anybody, given the fact that his position coach is, is in their meeting rooms now. So um, I, and that would be the one that I think would be potentially interesting for them at 14. That Him above anybody, I think, of the corners. It's a good point, though, because, you know, they're typically what they've done, like you guys have talked about, is you, if, you, if they're going to draft a corner, even in the first round, they kind of ease that. They've liked to ease him in. Be, you know, previous to that, it was what Trey, Trey Waynes, um, even what Zimmer got here in Rhodes' second season, but there still was some, you know, kind of a, a ramping up process with him even in 2014, wasn't there? Or was he? Yeah, Rhodes was like a miscast cover two corner in the last year under Leslie Frazier. So really it was almost like year one and Zimmer was in his hip pocket during that. I mean, when I think of like Mike Zimmer training camp, cornerback boot camps, uh, him and Rhodes in 2014 is the one that those images of, of him kind of <laughs> in Rhodes ear in Mankato is, is most sticks out to me probably the most. And that, that's what made 2020 so surprising is they just, you know, they drafted Gladney and, Dantzler and they just said okay go do it and that was a very there was a departure from their strategy in previous years and part of it was that they just lost a lot of veteran help but part of it was they just didn't go and sign a whole lot of veteran help and that was the biggest surprise I think to me in last year's roster construction so to Ben's point you could see someone more polished coming in but if this is a team that feels like it has to win now or has more important you know positional needs of players that can play right away first round cornerback for that standpoint doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. And you hear a lot about the top corners, Ben brought up um, certain and Farley. You don't hear a lot about the depth of that position. So maybe they do feel like they need to reach a little sooner to get somebody talented there as safety. You do hear a lot about this is a, a kind of a fatter in the middle class in terms of when you get past the top two prospects, um, you really start to see some guys that can contribute in the second, third, fourth rounds. I wouldn't be too shocked to see the Vikings spend one of their third round picks if they stay there um, at safety, or if they really have a guy they like at corner still available, jumping on that. Um, Beyond that, what are the needs? Where else are you guys going to see the Vikings draft? I've got two of them written down and I know one of them is going to be a fan favorite at wide receiver, but kicker is another one. I think we're (laughs) going to see, I think we're going to see the Vikings potentially draft yet another kicker. Um, If they've learned, maybe they'll just wait till after the draft, but I also wonder if the lack of depth at other positions, because again, you saw a lot of guys who were draft eligible this year decide to return to college. That is going to thin out the day three options at your normal positions. Is that going to drive up potentially a run on kickers where Rick Spielman can't help himself? And he's got to jump in there and draft another one after the Daniel Carlson snafu. Um, You both lit up when I brought this up. So uh, Mike, or actually no, Ben, sorry, go ahead. Take it away. (laughs) If If you're going to do it, you have to have some assurances from Mike Zimmer that will give him more than one bad game in green Bay to figure it out because that, I mean, it makes no sense unless you're going to say this is a long-term option and we are going to ride out some of the highs and lows because I mean, 
that decision, and I think at the time you figured this is a team that needs to win now. This is a team that was in the NFC title game a year ago, which I guess then leads to the question of why did they try to mess with it a kicker anyway, but that's neither here nor there. At the time when they cut Carlson, it was like, okay, this makes sense because it's a veteran locker room and what message are you sending if you stick by this guy? But, you know, looking at it long-term, he's turned into a very good kicker and you would not presumably have the problems that you have at that position if you'd stuck it out with them. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't have worked out, who knows? But I think if you're going to do it, you have to say, we will stick by this guy, even if he has a rough start, because we've seen enough young kickers with Mike Zimmer that it hasn't worked. So if you're going to do it again, there has to be a, a resolution that this will be different this time. I just can't imagine them. Are they really going to draft a kicker? Are there two kickers going to be a rookie and Greg Joseph? going into a year where they really have to win or or is this a year where you figure they're going to sign a a veteran who, you know, just one of those guys that, you know, maybe had a couple rough games somewhere else but generally has been pretty good and and go with end up going with that guy. I don't know. I mean, some kickers are weird, you know, sometimes they just come out of nowhere and they they end up being 10 year 10 years on a team and yeah, it just again, when I think about the construction of their roster and where they've, you know, had letdowns or failures in the past, you just, everything this year points to the known versus the unknown. So it's hard for me to imagine them eventually going with a rookie kicker this season. Yeah. I should, I should mention Dan Bailey is still a free agent. Dan Bailey was in talks to restructure his deal, according to his agent to come back here until that fell apart. And so there's certainly the potential that he comes back here does opt to say, okay, I assessed my options. Now I guess I will compete for my job again because that was what they had pitched him on in March after they signed Greg Joseph was, we want you back, but we're not going to give you the job. Uh, With that said, they could bring in a rookie like we just talked about to compete for it, or it could be a Bailey-type veteran, just somebody who's available to come in um, and somebody would realize that they don't have many other options elsewhere. Because what these these free agents want to do, like Bailey, is wait out the draft, see who still has that need, and maybe you're going to land somewhere that really, really needs you. And if the Vikings don't really show that that's the place, maybe he goes elsewhere. But I got to tell you guys, there is a SEC kicker who set all kinds of records that just seems destined for the Minnesota Vikings. His name's Evan McPherson. Oh, boy. His name's Evan McPherson, comes out of Florida. He was the top recruit in 2018 at kicker, made a SEC record 85% of his field goals for the Gators uh, across three seasons. Look, I know Blair Walsh didn't work out. I know Daniel Carlson didn't work out, but third time's a charm, right? Well, it's not like previous 85% time. in college. That sounds pretty good. Cause you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times these college kickers, they come in with much, you know, even the drafted ones like Blair Walsh had a year where he only made like 60% in college. Right. And you were like, why do they have so much faith in this guy? And then he was really good for a few years. Um, so 85%, I'm intrigued by that, Andrew. Um, I, 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 maybe I'm ready to take another bite of that apple. And Ben, what were you saying? It's not Mike Prefer this time. I, it is Ryan Ficken who was with Mike Prefer for those first two. So, I mean, maybe there's still some of those same thoughts this time. Um, did they take a long snapper? Ooh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> no, please. You have to think about that. <laughs> please, no. When they well, get half the picks in the seventh round again, <laughs> Alongside they, the fact that they we should we should address that too. The fact that they do not have a seventh round pick right now, I cannot imagine 
is sitting well with the brain trust at 2600 Viking Circle in Egan. Uh, that that round is where they separate themselves from the pack. So I uh, I, I think you know that they'll make some moves to uh, right that wrong. You know when I that reminds me too when I did the daily delivery podcast with Ryan Longwell a couple months ago and he was talking about how important it is not just to have kicking stability but to have it with your holder and your long snapper. They've churned through a lot of not just kickers but. Well, long snappers, you can go back like, what was it? Cullen Leffner, McDermott. They had a guy who was the long snapper in the playoffs in Jeff 2017, Overbaugh. right? Yeah, Overbaugh. They had, you know, they signed Austin Cutting, and then they got rid of him. And who was the guy at the end of last year? I can't even remember who it was last <laughs> Andrew year. Andrew DePaula. Andrew DePaula. I mean, no offense to any of these guys. I'm just, there's so many names, it's hard to keep them straight. They've had so many punters who are usually your holders, right? They've gone through three or four punters in the last five years, like, Nothing about that whole operation has been stable. So, you know, maybe, you know, the, the Ryan Longwell plan was draft a kicker, draft a long snapper, or, or pick a you know, pick a kicker, pick a long snapper, and pick a holder and just ride them out for five or six years. Let them get the chemistry. And, you know, after however long it's going to be, they're going to be really good. The problem is I don't know if this, you know, I don't know if they have the luxury of time right now. I don't know if they have the patience to do that. Cause what if it takes half a season and in the meantime, you blow two games because your, your kicking is terrible. I could tell you Mike Zimmer does not have the patience. I don't think so. That doesn't, the, the Ryan Longwell <laughs> plan does not seem like it squares with the Mike Zimmer plan. I'm going to tell you that much. As Ben said, Hey, fewer preseason games means fewer um, attempts, uh, two point attempts instead of extra points for your rookie kicker though. So you, we always got that going for you. That, All right. that, that's kind of the moment where you knew this might not work. Going for two. We're going for two. All right, guys. If it's not kicker, what is what is their next need? What where, what other positions do you feel like they need to address? Because I would throw out their wide receiver is one where they don't have a whole lot of depth. Oh, we already told you long snapper, so we can move on from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Let's put specialists all under one umbrella and say they're going to use two picks on specialists. Now, right. where are they going to use the other three or four picks? How, how do they feel about their linebacker depth? As I'm, you know, I feel like it's. You know, we, we Barr and, and Kendricks have been here for a long time. You've had some injury issues with with both of them periodically, but you know, if those two are healthy, you don't necessarily have much linebacker need, especially with how much time teams spend in you know nickel and, and dime packages these days. But I'm not, you know, terribly confident in their linebacker depth. Um, I wouldn't say that's going to be like a first round pick, but I, it, you know, those guys end up playing a lot of special teams early too, so you could see a linebacker or two, um, you know, in those middle rounds, I would think. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, they certainly, I mean, the, if Barr and Kendricks are healthy, they feel pretty good about what they have with the top two spots, but Barr, as a result of his restructuring is able to void his deal after this year. So this may be the last ride for Anthony Barr in Minnesota too. It, it's always possible. They'll, they'll come back around. They always kind of seem to, to get back together uh, in the end, like, uh, you know, sitcom characters that, get back together for the fourth time. But, uh, you know, if, if it doesn't go that way, then you have a need in that spot as well. So, yeah, I, I certainly could see a linebacker somewhere in there. I think uh, I, I think wide receiver, we've hinted at it a little bit. I think that's a need. I also think that maybe this is the year they take a quarterback in the middle. I don't think it's in, your, in round one, but you still don't have a backup that you're sure about. So if there's somebody to like and – round four with all those fourth round picks they have, then I, I wouldn't be stunned if that ends up in the plan. I would be um, be, really? only be 
only because they just don't No, not because of the need. This is Ben, you say this all the time. It's, it's, you know, you view it as your job to say what you think they will do, not what yes. we think they should do. Yeah. I think they should every year draft mid round quarterbacks and hope you land on Dak Prescott. Just, just keep doing it. Sure. Um, However, I, they don't do that. They don't allocate resources of backup quarterback. They sign Sean Mannions. They don't even spend a whole lot of money on it unless they have a rookie quarterback and they need Matt Castle, in which they had already had Matt Castle before anyway. So I just don't see Rick Spielman in this front office changing that, unless it was George Payton holding them back all these years. And now he's gone. Now he's gone and they can finally do it and spend a third round pick on Kellen Mond or whatever it's going to be. I just do not see them doing it because it's been John David Booty in 2008 and Nate Stanley in the seventh round last year as non-first round quarterbacks for this franchise yeah. since 2008. That's it. I know. Yeah, it's it, it's not common that they do it. I just, I mean, even by their standards with the backup quarterback, it it's fairly unsettled right now. And, and you wonder if that is because they have something else in the works. I the fact that they haven't brought Sean Mannion back, I, I mean, I think we all sort of assumed that that would get done at some point and um, obviously has not. So it does, it just makes me wonder if, if they've got something else up their sleeve at that spot. Cause I don't think, I mean, even though Kirk cousins has been remarkably durable, I don't know that they'd want to go in with the only backup options being Jake Browning and Nate Stanley. Mike, what do you think? I mean, I'm, I'm always like you, Andrew, I'm always for this idea. Um, they, you're right. They haven't, they haven't done it. It seems like a, a great investment, right? Like what, where else can you, where else is the value on return or return on value, return on value? What am I trying to say? Return on what, investment, return on investment. Ben knows what I'm trying to say. Ben pulled it out of my head. Return on investment. Where else can you get? I mean, let's if you, if you know, the worst case scenario is it just doesn't work. The guy's not very good. He winds up, you know, being on your practice squad. That's, you know, you signed a veteran for the minimum anyway. If you if you get him into camp, he's like, we got something here. This guy can be our backup at the very least. We're comfortable if he has to go into a game and maybe just maybe there's something here long term where, you know, if if you eventually go your separate ways from Kirk Cousins, you've got, you know, two or three very inexpensive years of a a, you know, even a mid-level starting quarterback in this league, uh, there is a massive value in that. So uh, again, yeah, I'd love the idea every year. Cousins being durable um, is a thing. Like some quarterbacks just kind of have that knack. And, you know, I think there's enough of a sample size now, or is it six years in a row that he hasn't missed a start? Uh, he hasn't been an injury? injury report since 2013, I believe. I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. And you know, that's like, you know, at a certain point, you don't want to take that for granted, but at a certain point, that's not luck either. You, you've got a guy that's got some durability to him. So there's probably not that, you know, urgency because of his history, but you know, you always are just one play away from, from that happening. And just from a developmental standpoint, it just makes a ton of sense, especially if it's a deep quarterback draft and you, you find someone you really like. I will divert briefly here from what Andrew's right. My, I do view our jobs as telling you what we think they will do, not what they should do. If I was going to make a brief visit to what they should do land, the fact that their starting quarterback is who he is and they had to pay what they had to pay to get him should be an endorsement for the idea that you take one in the middle rounds because the red, uh, the Washington football team uh, back then, but known by a different name, 
did that in 2012. They took RG3 with the second overall pick, and then they took Kirk Cousins in the fourth round because they liked him and they wanted to, to be able to develop him. And then, of course, Cousins eventually becomes the starter, gets to free agency, makes a lot of money from the Vikings, and, and you, you go from there. And not that Washington has capably replaced Kirk Cousins, but the idea that you take one because he may turn into a massive uh, return, you could a value that far exceeds the investment of the pick is, is why you do it. I mean, Russell Wilson's another great example of that. There's, there's Dak Prescott. I mean, there's, there's a number of these guys around the league that would kind of be in that camp, but uh, yeah, it, it would be a departure for them given how they've gone about it. But if they were going to do it, I think the Kirk Cousins story is part of the reason why it makes sense because it tells you that there can be this kind of value in a quarterback in the mid rounds. I think people forget, speaking of Washington and Minnesota quarterbacks, that Tom Brady's gauntlet that he had went through to win his seventh Super Bowl just recently, it started with Taylor Heineke. It started with having to put down Taylor Heineke in that Washington game when he had his moment. And everyone's thinking, did Washington find the answer? And then all Washington's done since then is use every resource possible to replace him. Um, Bringing in Ryan Fitzpatrick, being linked to all these quarterbacks before the draft. Excuse me. All those different things. Uh, This is a good segue, though, into our Twitter questions here. We have a bunch of draft questions that we've um, accumulated over the whole offseason. And we'll get to some of them here for you guys on draft week. And the first one that I wanted to get to to start at quarterback, and it looks more at the Vikings franchise history at the position when we're looking at first rounders um, Vikings couch, which is a nice, um, you know, nice Twitter handle wants to know um, 71% of the Vikings first round picks in franchise history have been in the teens or lower yet. This QB starved team has drafted a quarterback just twice in the teens, never higher or never lower. Wait, yeah, never higher outside of that. Excuse me. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on the fact that just this extends beyond Rick Spielman? This is a franchise thing. It, this isn't just the current regime. They do not have not invested such quarter, uh, have invested such resources in quarterbacks. I guess it speaks to the fact that they are not often picking in the top 10 it means they're somewhat always relevant, but at the same time, they're not using those middling picks to swing for the fences at that position. Yeah. I mean, it's it, the history does bear that out and it's, you know, I don't know what I don't know what the data tells us about quarterbacks picked in the top five versus quarterbacks picked you know later in the first round, but it it, it does seem to be a, an organizational wide thing. I think the bigger thing is probably the the first thing you hinted at though is just that they're not usually in the position to draft that high because in general you know they <laughs> with the stat they keep playing over and over again is you know highest winning percentage of you know all these teams that have in the top 10 winning percentage in the NFL over X amount of years, the only one of them that hasn't made it to the super hasn't won the super bowl or made it to the super bowl. Um, you know, so just the fact that they've been in it all this time that they, they pick in the teens and twenties a lot because they are winning. And when you are winning, you probably don't have a huge quarterback need anyway. So it, it, I don't know if it's so much a strategy as a, as it is maybe a, an effect of the way they've played. Yeah. It's interesting because you're right. they, Typically, it's not that they're bad. It's that they're typically pretty good and it falls apart at the worst possible time. That, that's the story of the, of the franchise history. But they've also managed to do that with arguably no long-term 
franchise quarterback since Fran Tarkenton. I mean, you have you had your run with Dante Culpepper for a few years. You had the one year with Favre. You had the one year with Cunningham. The, the, the Denny Green story was all of these one-offs, whether it was Warren Moon or Jim McMahon or uh, Brad Johnson was a developed guy of their own. But the, the Jeff George here, I mean, they, they've had all of these types of things. And then now Cousins for the last three has been the consistent guy, but they haven't had a guy that has held that spot down for longer than five, six years since Tarkenton and, or at least done it at that high of a level. I guess Tommy Kramer probably uh, had to remember exactly how many years he was doing it, but the, the, the franchise quarterback has been a need really at more times in this franchise's history than not. And the fact that they've only taken seven of them in team history in the first round is, is also pretty interesting. Yeah. And to that point, they haven't picked in the top 10 since 2014 when they got Anthony Barr, they obviously picked 11th in 2015. And, and they then took a quarterback that year too. They and took then Bridgewater they, that year. they did. That was the last first round quarterback they had taken. If you don't count the first round pick they spent to acquire Sam Bradford um, with from Philadelphia. And then of course, the last time they picked in the top five, was after the 2011 season when they took Matt Khalil. Um, that leads into our next question from Josh. He wants to know, when you look at the Vikings past decade of first and second round picks, there's a lot more hits in the second round than there are in the first, from Kyle Rudolph to Eric Kendricks, Mackenzie Alexander, Dalvin Cook, Brian O'Neill, compared to the likes of Christian Ponder, Khalil, Sharif Floyd, Laquan Treadwell. Um, is this bad luck in terms of some of those guys we named, or is it bad strategy? Ben, what do you think? Well, the, the first round picks a lot of times, you know, the, they'll talk all the time about we draft best player available. Their first round pick is not often that their first round pick quite often is to meet a need. I mean, you look back to ponder, they needed a quarterback. Khalil, they needed a left tackle. Um, the, the, the year after that, they had Floyd and Rhodes. They had needs at both of those spots. Bridgewater, Barr, they, they had needs in both of those spots. Barr was probably a little bit of a, a vanity project, I suppose you would have said at the time. Um, but Trey Waynes, they needed a corner. Uh, Laquan Treadwell, maybe the biggest example of this, where they were talking about, we need our Michael Irvin. We need somebody that can run the bang eight in the North Turner offense. And then they spent uh, the better part of six months together, and that was it. So the first round pick Garrett Bradbury would be another example of this. It, it's quite often been to fill a need. And when you do that, sometimes you hit on things and, and sometimes you don't, I, I think that might play into it a little bit. Um, it, it may, it may be the luck. I, I think anybody trying to assume that we have all this draft stuff figured out, whether you work for a team or whether you're in the media, like we are, or you're just a fan you're kidding yourself if you think that there's this kind of secret sauce to anybody. There's there's a lot of just dumb luck involved in some of this stuff too. But um, if we were to try to put a, a, a theme on it, they, the, the first round pick is quite often you look at where they've had a need under Rick Spielman and that's where they've gone. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, I think some of it is what Ben just outlined. It's the, when you draft for need in the first round and then second round, you can kind of look back and see what has fallen to you, see what the board has presented to you. And 
I don't, I think there has been still some need in those, in those spots they've picked, you know, 2017, when they got Dalvin cook, it was certainly like, you know, running back was going to be a thing that they were looking to, you know, replace Adrian Peterson, move on from, from that era. Um, you know, so there's, it's not like they haven't addressed things they need. I think Ben's larger point is a good one. Teams always talk about, you know, drafting for best player available. And oftentimes it's best player available at position. You need the most, um, that the intersection of those two things. And, yeah, I don't know if there's like an over overwhelming, you know, sentiment to it. I think I think part of it maybe too is perception in that, you know, there's such a, a value placed on those first round picks. And when they don't work out to the, you know, the measure that you hold them to, it, it gets labeled a certain a certain way. Whereas a second round pick who, you know, ends up being a pretty good starter for your team has a lot of holds a lot of value and you might, you know, you might judge them differently. Like would do you evaluate the Kyle Rudolph career differently because he was a second round pick than you would have if he had been a first round pick? Like just sometimes the perception of a player changes by the round he's chosen in. Yeah, that's a really good point too. And I, I do think luck is, has been mentioned. Um, it plays such a big part in it and it, because it's about what other teams do around you. If, if the Vikings, if the Eagles take Justin Jefferson and the Vikings don't get a chance at him, who do they take? And, and how does that pick look? If they end up with Brandon Ayuk, and it, and it looks great, then we're not even talking about this, then it's just a great pick. But if they take Jalen Rieger and it doesn't turn out as well, then we're still wondering, is that another Laquan Treadwell style reach for a need or something like that? But because Jefferson fell to them, he was the first all pro selection. He made the second team as a rookie, the first all pro selection by a Vikings first round pick since Anthony Barr in 2014. And there's only been those two in the Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman regime in those last seven drafts. So it's two out of seven. If you're looking at those first round picks in terms of like really home run hit, and maybe that's just kind of the going rate in the NFL in general too. Um, so in the second round too, I think they've had a higher hit rate than maybe you would expect, especially when you look back at that 2015, 16, 17, 18 run of Kendricks, Alexander cook O'Neal. Um, they got, those are four guys who are going to have long NFL careers uh, wherever they end up being at. Um, guys, we got another question here, uh, regarding quarterback. Evan wants to know if Kellen Mond is going to be the answer in the mid round. So Ben, if the Vikings do end up taking a mid round quarterback, are you even looking at some of those options as you put together your seven round mock, who are some of the guys that you could end up putting in there? And Evan is getting, um, is putting out there. Kellen Mond from Texas A&M. He was a guy that looked pretty good. Dual threat quarterback has that kind of play action ability to his game in terms of what he ran at Texas A&M projects as the kind of guy who could fit into a modern system like the Vikings with this wide zone play action scheme. Um, ben, what do you think? Who are some of the guys that you've been kind of throwing out there as, as maybe fits there? And is Kellen Mond one of them? Yeah, he would be one of them. And Kyle Trask from Florida would be the other one. I, I think I'd kind of keep an eye on him. It, it, it's not probably going to be the guy that is Patrick Mahomes and goes and runs for 500 yards in a season in addition to what he does in the pocket. I, I think they're still probably going to want the guy that that uh, can run their offense and has been in a pro-style system. But, yeah, I mean, I think some of those types of guys are what I've – that's what I've looked at. I I, I, I'm, I haven't put it all together yet. I'm trying to decide if I'll – I'll use one of those picks on uh, on a quarterback in the middle rounds. So I, I, yeah, I, I feel a bit conflicted because yes, I typically have been the guy that says they don't do this. They, they don't um, take a, a quarterback unless they need one. And 
I mean, last year they, they did it. That actually, like, I, I threw Nate Stanley in the back of my seven-round mock last year, and the fact that I hit on that and can, you know, claim some level of uh, inside knowledge on that, I mean, it, it's a total farce. It, it's, <laughs> it's a guess, but, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pimp that a little bit. I, I hit on a seventh-round pick, but, um, yeah, they, they typically don't do it, and I, I've typically been the one saying that they're not going to do it because they're – when you've had the same brain trust for this long, you do start to see the patterns. That said, I, I, I kind of wonder if this year is different, just given the fact that they have more of a need there as we've talked about needs in the draft. Yeah. And Davis mills out of Stanford is another quarterback to keep an eye on in the yep. middle rounds yep. of, of the draft. So there's some options for them. And of course, a bunch of guys we haven't named that are going to go rounds three, four, five, six, and seven. Uh, Mike, do you have a favorite? Who, who are you mocking to the Vikings? I, I'm not doing the mocks. I'm just thinking about how just what what even a selection of a quarterback in the third or fourth round would do to this fan base. Like just the 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 fever pitch over, you know, the the you know because because they don't do it. That you haven't even had like this element of quarterback competition or the new guy to get excited about a quarterback for a very long time. It's, it's, it's always been, it's tended to be veterans ever since, you know, the Bridgewater injury. Um, so just this, the injection of that sort of young player who, you know, probably would flash a little bit in a preseason game, probably would show you some dual threat stuff that Kirk cousins doesn't do. Um, I'm just trying, I'm playing it out in my mind as to what that would look like from a fan standpoint. And, uh, I'm, I'm imagining a lot of, uh, a lot of fun things happening <laughs> to that point of, of the perception stuff. I mean, the, the one, the example of that to me that always comes to mind and we've talked about it is 2012. It was the year after they took Ponder, they coached the senior bowl because they had that high pick. They loved Russell Wilson and, that coaching staff probably didn't have the equity with Rick Spielman to make demands of what it wanted uh, or requests, uh, passionately stated requests of what it wanted the way Mike Zimmer does. But uh, that coaching staff loved Russell Wilson and they obviously didn't do it a year after they took Ponder. Cause I, I think there probably would have been some of that where, Hey, you just took a guy in the first round a year ago. What are you doing taking another one? But uh the, the pick went to Josh Robinson instead, and and Wilson obviously has has killed the Vikings like few others. And uh, yeah, the, the, some of those examples of that happening are are, uh, are pretty memorable, pretty uh, pretty important in the grand story of of where this franchise has been. All right, guys, let's end with this question from Eric. He wants to know the 2020 virtual draft gave us a lot of gems, uh, none greater than Bill Belichick's dog Nike being at the kitchen table, making that draft pick. Uh, he wants to know, with the draft getting back to normal, are we going to be robbed of those fun experiences again? So let me amend the question just say, what was your guys' favorite part of last year's draft and all of these stars that came out of it? Because mine, actually, I think, would be Cliff Kingsbury's fire pit Arizona kind of mansion where he's looking like a Bond villain. That's still my favorite. Yeah, that one was pretty good, too. I mean, that and Belichick probably are the two that stick out the most to me. Goodell in his basement. Uh, oh, Jerry Jones's yacht. Remember the white yacht? With oh yeah, the, yeah, yep, yeah. Jer- yep. I was gonna say Jerry Jones is probably my favorite, and I, I don't, re- I don't have a ton of memories from that draft because we were doing this live, this live uh, Star Tribune show, and so I was like 
worried about running that and also kind of keeping an eye on the draft. So I, I don't have as many solid memories, but the Jerry Jones on the yacht definitely, uh, definitely stands out. I will say this, the, the perhaps fondest memory I have of that draft being virtual was because that's that third day of the draft is a slog for anybody that covers it. It's you, you end up basically in the media room the entire day and they trade back a ton I mean, you know, it's a slog for a lot of teams, but the Vikings are typically as active or more active on day three than anybody. So rather than sitting in that room on what typically tends to be a really nice day uh, and you walk outside and like, I've been inside for nine and a half hours and it's like, 65 degrees and a nice spring day. I covered the the set, the last few picks of that draft. I had the Wi-Fi out on my patio and set up a hammock and uh, covered the last few picks from there. So uh, the fact that we've introduced that, I think day three is going to be virtual again this year from what I've heard. Um, uh, that's, you know, I'm not sure how much anybody cares about this, but a little bit of inside the life of a beat writer. I, I'm, I'm not sad that that part may be staying from last year. Yeah, for fans, it's going to look a little more back to normal. They're going to do the draft in Cleveland. It's going to be socially distanced. Fans are going to be there. They're going to have 10 prospects there with their some of their friends and family. But it's not going to be Trevor Lawrence. It's not going to be a lot of the top guys. They turned down the invite to go because they want to have bigger gatherings at their homes. So I think we're still, depending on who lets the cameras in, we're still going to get those intimate looks. And preferably, like I liked seeing them with you know, the, the draft picks with their friends and family in a more natural setting, not in this green room as buttoned up as you can be. And then going right away to the interview of, I just, I don't know. I, I preferred last year's draft in terms of getting the more intimate looks at that. Not only the, the teams with the, the draft, the GMs at home, um, the draft picks at home. Um, I think they're going to maybe incorporate some of those more, those elements into this year's draft. Cause I think we're seeing now too the second round picks or some day two picks are going to be made and announced by like GMs and executives from their like quote unquote war rooms or whatever. So they're going to try to incorporate more of that personal element. I think we'll see some changes stick around anyway. Well, and the, uh, the fact that they, I mean, the, the only thing I think that would be maybe beneficial this year, if you have a few more interactions with players in interviews to fill some time, I remember last year they went very heavy on, kind of the prepackaged features of anybody that had kind of a, a tragic background story uh, that I feel like that was very, and there's, that's an element of every draft, but I feel like that was very prevalent last year. I mean, almost to the point of like, okay, um, this, this is a bit much. So um, maybe there'll be a little bit more balance with that this year. I don't know. Yeah. A little bit more football. <laughs> a little bit more breakdown more mel kuiper at the at the podium or the not podium we can all desk. we can all use more mel kuiper in our lives <laughs> all right guys thanks for checking out this episode of the access vikings podcast first of four draft week episodes we will be back tomorrow discussing the locals and the minnesota draft prospects who are hopeful to get picked this weekend maybe you should get off the podcast